Hi, and welcome to Podcash, Portable CPD in Best Practice Podcast from Cash. My name's Dawn, and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni, the fastest growing network of current and future professionals in care, health, and education. You can join us for free at cashalumni.org.uk and get access to articles from subject specialists and experts, e-learning, do a discount and benefits scheme, and lots of support with career development and your future growth. Hi, my name's David, David Breakspear. Um, I'm a prison reform campaigner. Um, I also campaign for reform to our education system as well, because I believe that the two are very much interlinked. Um, I do so because I have near on 40 years worth of experience of being, I suppose, I hate the term service user, but I can't think of any other word at the moment, but being a service user of the criminal justice system from the age of 10 um, and when was that 1980 until 2019 when I came off my final prison license um, and turned my I'd obviously turned my back on on crime and the criminal justice system earlier but I had to go through a process first called prison um, and my final prison sentence one of many um, in order to be able to um, get on this, if you like, this new journey, my uh, new beginnings, um, and using my experience, as I say, to try and influence the way other people think rather than tell people what to think. One of the things that you said there was that you could have obviously ended your relationship with, with crime earlier, um, but there was a process involved there. Um, and just just to to level the playing field a bit, I also hate the the term service user, but can't think of an alternative. I was a service user in the care system in terms of I've, I've got a connective tissue disorder, so I have spent some time being looked after and sort of doing that bit, which is how I ended up where I am in terms of doing this, talking to people and advocating for health and social care and for all the people who support me um, in terms of the brilliant work that they do and how under-recognised they are in what their bits are. So, um our journeys, although different things have sort of similar paths in how we found them. I think many of us, although we may not have walked in each other's shoes, our souls are very much worn down in the same ways. And we may have walked along different paths, but that doesn't mean to say that the experiences have not been the same when we've come up against whatever system, whether it be the mental health system, the criminal justice system, or the education system. So although each journey, I suppose, is slightly different. There are very many similarities and, and something very much in the prison system that I found was the similarities of how similar my life was to that of many others growing up um, in respect of school exclusion, child sex abuse, especially from people my age, the education system. You, you listen to each individual story and it resonates so much. Um, which is one of the reasons why I do what I do now, because of that, if you like, uncovered knowledge um, about how much commonality, not just between people in prison, but how much commonality there are between people that do have to access these services. We, we all have a story to tell, and I find stories very interesting. Everybody has more in common than we have in differences. And the, the small amount of differences we have rather than be in fear of them, we should celebrate them because it's variety. Variety is the spice of life and it's all about diversity and you get so many different perspectives 
um, especially in prison. Prison is such a diverse place. You get so many perspectives of life. Oh, David, there's so many things that you've said there that I really want to talk about because even just that is 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 really interesting in terms of, I suppose, as a, as a nutshell um, as to, to, to how I feel about all of this stuff. Um, I spent some time working with people in youth homelessness um, and I understand a little bit about that pressure cooker environment of being forced to live with people that you have nothing in common with and who hold opposing views and you're having to find a way to to make it work and to have to actually learn how to talk things through and to find a resolution because you don't have any option because you have to spend every day with this person so um I've, I've seen some amazing relationships form between young people who have views which the other would consider to be abhorrent but who have found commonalities and found things that they do agree on and built a relationship and a friendship through it and, and being able to actually have some really groundbreaking ideas about the thing that they disagree on because they can have actual conversations about it, which I think is something that in today's very polarised sort of media-based society we're missing a bit. People don't have conversations or talk about their differences anymore. There's this tribal, oh, well, I don't like her because she thinks this, or, you know, he's a bad person because he thinks that. We, we don't have to agree with everybody to get on with everybody. And how boring would it be to have people around you that just keep agreeing with you? It's like the conversation will get boring. You want people, you want debates. You don't have to argue. I mean, at the end of the day, when you argue with someone, you're trying to find who's right. But when you have a discussion, you're trying to find what's right. And surely that's what we all want. We all want to find out what's right at the end of the day. And in respect of the industries in which we work, we want to find out what's right for the individuals that are in that system um, and, and to enable them to, to not just hopefully change their own lives, but also to help influence the ways that society stereotype certain individuals you said earlier on you said that um you could have obviously ended your relationship with crime earlier but there was a process to go through and from some of the things that you've said since i think you might agree with us when i when i say that nobody's the villain in their own fairy tale and nobody you know it's not a case of you went out and and i don't believe anybody goes out thinking oh do you know what i really fancy being a criminal people come by that through circumstance and 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 i i don't know anyone who has committed a crime for any other reason than at that at the time from the choices that they had that that seemed like the best option that was going to cause the least hurt and the least harm and actually it's a sort of faulty decision-making process rather than let's go out and do bad things. And it's a faulty decision-making process that basically you're under pressure from from very early because society seems to dictate that in order to be successful, you have to have your own home, you have to have your own car, you have to have a job, and you go on a holiday twice a year, three times a year with two children at a decent school and a dog or a Labrador probably, whatever. But... Unfortunately, that life isn't achievable by everybody. And it's not the best fit for everybody either. Exactly. No, it isn't. I mean, we still need artists. We still need musicians. We still need to hear the busker down the tube playing a song that takes us back after we've had a bad day. And yet when we get home, because of what we've just heard, we've got a smile on the face. 
magicians. We need more more concentration on the arts because that provides opportunities for people that have talent but may, may not be academically minded. And when we was at school, you could look back, oh, sorry, you could look and you go, he's sporty, he's academic, he's sporty, he's academic. And there are a few that do kind of, if you like, drop in the middle. But the ones that are not academic, our education system fails them. Um, and unfortunately, the criminal justice system is then there to pick up the pieces. But what the criminal justice system doesn't do is it doesn't provide them with anything different. It just carries them through life, basically. And until something changes, nothing changes. It's obviously the school is where these issues are coming from. Um, and early intervention, because it's so, it, so much easier to set a child right than it is to mend a broken adult. And and I think we, we seem to have used services over the last eight years have had seen 40% near enough cut from their budget. And then we wonder why these youths are now back on the streets again. Well, the government's cut the budget for them. We really do need to understand that the more money we spend on our youngsters, the more it's going to save in the future. Do you think that actually maybe instead of faulty decision-making in terms of the inputs that kids are getting, that it might actually be faulty inputs into that decision-making, that actually the actual decision-making process and actually looking at the information that you've got like is actually fine, you know, like that is the most logical decision. That makes sense. That That really is, you know, it's not necessarily that person makes bad decisions, it's that that person actually has bad information to base those decisions on. They're children. They, they, in a way, I mean, I never knew the right questions to ask. So therefore, rather than ask questions, I played up. I, I, I um, had challenging and disruptive behaviour. My, my crap, if you like, was coming out in other ways because I wasn't emotionally mature enough. I wasn't intelligent enough, emotionally intelligent enough to understand what it was that I needed and what it was that I was going through. And why should I? I was a child. So therefore, it's down to the adults and they need to have more trauma-informed teaching going on or, or training going on with schools. We need to spot these signs sooner because the sooner we start spotting the signs, the sooner that our prison system will start diminishing. That's where we need to really, really focus is on because they're the future. We're the ones that, if you like, if you take a step back, we um, society demean those that are in prison, but most people are in prison because society failed them. It's, it's like you can't have it both ways, society. You can't fail these people and then start pointing the finger when they're behind a prison wall or they've been excluded from school. Where's your responsibility? It takes a village to raise a child. And and by that, it, it, it's the GP, the parent. Par there's no training course to be a parent. So parents need support. No one just knows how to be a parent. They know how to care for a child, but no one knows how to be a parent until they're shown. They may not have had parents themselves. They might have been brought up in care. So how can we expect them to then be parents? I'm not having to dig at parents because it's not their fault. There's nothing in place. It is... There's no instruction booklet that comes with a baby, is there? And it's like they, and you're just left to fend for yourself. And that's the same as the education system. You come out the education system, you're just dropped and left to fend for yourself. There's the gate, see you later. There's a couple of A levels. Good luck. It's the same with every single area. 
the prison system's the same. It's like, oh, nice, you've done your four years, there's the gate, there's 46 quid, see you next time you come back. So in the prison system, you know, is it less about making people understand that what they did was wrong and more about actually understanding that person and how they came to make those decisions so that we can support them to understand what other options were open to them or, you know, why they ended up where they were and could change that pattern. I'll be totally honest with you, Dawn. I, I deserved every single second of every single prison sentence that I've ever been sentenced to. I deserved to be in prison. I was a danger to the public. I was a very violent individual. Um, I was quite dangerous to the police and authority. Um, most of my criminal record is violence. Um, the, the sort of the other side of the criminal record was from earlier years. So it's taking driving away. Um, commercial burglaries, thefts, um, antisocial behaviour, basically, as a kid. So, um, But as I kind of grew up, I, I grew up within something where you climb the hierarchy, if you like, and, and, and there's a hierarchy in crime. You, you might begin in shoplifting or whatever, but in a few years' time, you do. I mean, I'd commit my first armed robbery at 14 years old. Um, if I was in school... I probably wouldn't have done that. Yes, I was responsible for my behaviour in school. Not everyone that has adverse child experience or trauma or single parent or brought up in care will end up in a criminal justice system. So there is some agency involved. There is a bit of personal choice. Therefore, there is also some acceptance that's needed from the individual there are still circumstances that surround it, aren't there? Like that, yeah. You can accept responsibility while at the same time acknowledging that you were in a position where that decision might have been more likely for you than it might have been for somebody else because of the circumstances that surrounded it. I've I've never committed a crime, and as I've committed a crime, gone that teach the abuser, that teach the police. I've committed a crime because I wanted the money. <laughs> it's as simple as that. There's no, and and the consequence for me was if I didn't get that money, I wouldn't be able to do ABC. I wouldn't be able to buy ABC. I didn't have the consequence of if I didn't get that money, if I get caught getting this money, I'm going to go to prison. That consequence never sits there and it doesn't sit with people that commit crime. You, you're not thinking about going to prison. If you do, you make mistakes and you end up in prison because you're not focused on the job in hand. So the consequence of prison doesn't exist. It's not a deterrent. Um, the crime rate and the rate of imprisonment are not correlated. There's no correlation between banging people up and there being a cut in crime. Um, so for me, yeah, it it's everything, everything needs to be geared towards these youngsters. And if we start now, in five, six, seven years' time, we'll be closing prisons. I, I, I can guarantee it. We won't. It's like the spending review the other day. They just said that they, they put another four billion aside for 18,000 new prison spaces. Yet, one of their major policies is reducing reoffending. Well, we've already got a prison system that can hold near enough. So that's going to take the prison system up to 100,000 capacity. How's that reducing reoffending? How's that having any any faith whatsoever in reducing reoffending? So the only way that we can really do it as a society is really start looking at our children and give them the, the love, the care, the support, the skills, 
and the understanding and the empathy. Look behind the challenging and disruptive behaviour. Find out why that's being caused. Don't criminalise the child straight off, which is what happens in county lines. They can't be a victim and a criminal. They're either one or the other. And if they're victims, stop criminalising them and stop putting them in prison and let's start dealing with them how they should be dealt with as children that are victims. It's as simple as. Empathy doesn't cost anything. Second chances doesn't cost anything, but it can change someone's life. We talk about, you know, all of this stuff often through the lens of poverty. Um, and again, in terms of children being taught at school and versus the current situation where they're at home, you know, the focus is on poor kids and oh well they might be doing less well than those at home who've got affluent parents or well as my colleague Tom pointed out in a meeting the other day that that's not necessarily the case and adverse childhood experiences happen across that spectrum and people being stuck at home at the minute actually those children who've got a parent at home through unemployment or who are maybe less financially well off might very well have better access to a learning environment and a nourishing environment than someone whose parents are both fraught and stuck at work and you know don't necessarily have the time to to help them work through some of those problems or to talk about the stuff that they've got going on so that there is often this this idea that children become wayward because of financial circumstances and and poverty yeah it's mental health as well that doesn't have mental health doesn't have a criteria it, it doesn't care if you've got money or not prison doesn't care if you've got money or not so Again, that's why we really need to, yes, um, those that come from socially economic deprived areas, research evidence base shows that they're, they're the ones that are in the majority when it comes to the criminal justice system. But that doesn't mean to say that our criminal justice, we've only got to look at um, Geoffrey Archer, um, Lord Charlie Brockett, all former prisoners that come from the establishment, that come from the upper classes. You don't have to have a university degree to get into prison. They'll take anybody, trust me. And mental health's the same. Mental health will attack you, whoever you are. In terms of, you know, reducing reoffending for those grown-ups, you know, those adults who are in that criminal justice system, um, how does that work at the minute? And in, in as far as I understand, you know, people who are in for, for longer sentences might get some education, might get some support to, 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 to make some positive steps. But for shorter sentences, there's there's not necessarily a lot of focus on development or rehabilitation. Is that your experience? Yeah, I mean, I mean especially at the moment um, with, with, with COVID and lockdown, obviously everything's been stopped. Um, which is really unfair because it means that also you've got people inside that need to be doing courses, they need to be doing um, education to bring their risk level down, that lifers and and uh, prisoners that are serving what's known as an indeterminate sentence for the public protection, IPP prisoners, they're indeterminate prisoners that are serving life sentences that have no release date. And the only way they can get released is by doing courses, accessing education, accessing workshops. And for the last eight months, prisons have been shut down. So their lives have been dead. These last eight months for most people in prison has all been dead time. So there has been no 
if you like, rehabilitative services available to these guys. Rehabilitation is an attitude. Um, it isn't a destination, especially when it comes to the criminal justice system, because you've got to get yourself through prison. Then you've got to re be released and you've got to reintegrate back into society. And and that for me is where my ex like that's where my experience was in terms of that we talked a little bit like before like in in messages as we arranged the things that I used to work with prisoners from their first day of release um in terms of welfare to work um and supporting prisoners to to find work and as part of that I was when I first started working with prisoners I was absolutely shocked to find out how little support there is for someone leaving prison um in terms of getting back on their feet you know when you consider that often people have lost their home through their admission to prison, whether that's because they rent a home and they've been in prison and it's been gone and that's it, you know, taken back, or they lived with family who now don't want them to come and live back with them anymore, or relationship breakdown through, you know, like prison, that there's no support really to, to necessarily get somewhere to live. And you get a sort of first job set, seek as allowance or whatever it is, you know, to, there you go, off your trot. See, when you've got someone that's doing, if you like, and, and research, recent research has suggested this as well, that those that are serving over four years are less likely to reoffend than those serving less than four years, which would make one thing, and, and quite rightly so, that long-term sentences work. It's not about long-term sentencing working. It's about they've got the time to be able to do it. A lot of guys that go through the prison system are doing under four years, they're doing under two years, short-term sentences, and they serve no purpose. And, and, and you've got these guys that are more than likely um, going to be spending a number of years in prison, and they need to do these courses, they need to do this education, and yet you've got these guys coming in for five minutes, taking up all these spaces that these guys could be on, and, and it's no one's benefit because there's no time to work with them. Short-term sentences. To be sent to prison with anything less than two years to serve is a waste of everybody's time. And let's be honest, if someone's um, received a, a sentence of less than four years, the chances of them being a risk to the public are very low. Otherwise, they'd be getting a longer-term sentence. So it isn't about um, protecting the public as much because a lot of these crimes um wouldn't be stopped like murder murder is such a, a crime of passion you can't reduce murder because there's no rhyme or reason behind it it just happens you've got one punch murders you've got domestic violence murders you've got accidents where someone's it's been found they've had a drink or they haven't got a license so them kind of things are a, a, a one-offs like that so you can't really protect the public against that Again, the rape side of that, you can't really protect the public. But what you can protect the public about are all these ones that keep reoffending: your burglars, your car thieves, um, your shop thieves, um, your armed robbers, and, and all of these people that um, are kind of committing crime based on circumstance. Um, I think when you start getting into the upper level crimes, the more heinous crimes, then you're kind of looking at deeper psychological issues. And that takes another level. And, and I, although I've had mental health problems, I don't believe I've ever had serious psychological problems. So therefore, I can't speak for that kind of group of offenders, if you like, because um, it's so far removed from me. In the vein of what you're saying, is that the, 
in that circumstance, really, the, the length of time that you should spend in prison is directly correlated to how much help you need to, to work through whatever it is and so, sort out your circumstances. Obviously, we've got sentencing guidelines that are there to keep the justice system fair. Um, so to sentence, um, oh, you need a little bit more. But then we can take a step back and, and utilise that, um, what you've just mentioned there, and let's have special centres. I mean, we had them when I was a kid. They were we called they were called attendance centres. You go and do an hours. It, they were rubbish back then. I mean, I'm going back to the early 1980s when there was no regime. There was nothing. So we got put on these things. It was an hour of circuit training and an hour of woodwork. But then there's no reason why we can't have um, centres that do provide education packages, do provide self-development packages, personal development packages, where someone could be sentenced from the court. So rather than send someone to prison for 12 weeks where it serves absolutely no purpose whatsoever, send them to one of these centres for, for six months where they can address their offending, where they can look at their accommodation issues and they get support, where they can look at their drug issues and get support. Because it's not happening in prison because no one cares about them because they're not doing long enough. And by the time anyone's work, started working with them, they've moved on to another prison anyway. And then by the time they get picked up, they've gone home. So they just... They're the, the forgotten ones that are going through the system, but not just the forgotten ones. They're the majority, Dawn. And that's why the prison system is so full up and why the, the reducing reoffending costs so much each year, because we're not addressing the right issues. We're not attacking the issues where it's needed. And for me, it's, as I mentioned, early intervention, the sooner the better. Let's start understanding our children's challenging and disruptive behaviour, stop criminalising them, and have a little bit of empathy. I hope it comes across as passion and not anger, because I am very passionate about it. Yeah, but I mean, that's what it takes, isn't it? it? It always takes passion to make change. And actually, it's not just passion about a cause, that it's something that you've got real experience of and can speak about from a place of real experience. Whereas I think actually, with a lot of stuff like this, it's well-meaning people who don't have a lot of information but have some sort of touch on it, like me. I, I know a little bit. I've, I've, I've been on the peripherals of supporting, you know, people who've been released from prison. So I've had conversations with prisoners, but I was not in a position where people were going to share their journey with us. They were just going to share the things that they needed immediate support with and immediate help. And actually someone with your passion and the experience that you've got and that real understanding of what that complete picture looks like is is really valuable in making change to go forward and being able to fix some of those problems. You were talking about how, you know, transferring between prisons and people getting lost and then, you know, and the, the shorter sentences meaning that there isn't an intervention, but what could maybe point people in a different direction is that actually that that's that's a really simple solution that could be implemented really easily even if it was for you know a trial or a pilot or something to 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 look at building some some evidence that that would work but that sorry just that that for me like brings real parallels with that idea of social prescribing you know that people go to the doctors and they're not necessarily any more prescribed some medication to take because it'll stop stop the symptoms you know or go, oh, well actually that might be because 
anxiety makes this happen in your brain and so why don't you try reading this book about this thing and see if you can you know do something about the root cause of it rather than we're treating the symptoms and this idea that we can actually rather than sentence people to prison it'll still be a sentence but i suppose sentence them to get help um instead yeah it is it's a, it's it's sentencing some it's sentencing someone sensibly that's sensible approach to sentencing to to sentence them to something that is going to enable them to be able to turn their lives around just going I, I spoke to someone earlier this morning i told him about when i was working in reception at the bcat local he had 99 previous convictions i think he'd been in jail 37 times this time he was in for stealing a jumper from Primark for 20 quid and was doing 12 weeks or no, less than 12 weeks, I think it was. But the longest sentence he had out of those 37 was six months. So for 36 sentences, he hasn't done any longer than six months. Yeah, he's probably spent 10 years in prison, but because of the fracturedness of it, yeah, all I had to do was take 10% of that time and work with him outside on a one-to-one basis. Do you think that magistrates or judges, like, do you think that they think they're doing the right thing by giving people short sentences because it's proportional to the actual crime and that that, that they're being lenient or that they're helping, you know, do you think that there's a misunderstanding about what sentences actually play out like for prisoners and the impact that they can have? I, I don't want to put word in, words in magistrates' mouths, but um, last year I was... I'd done a, a, a talk at the magistrates AGM and the subject of short sentences got brought up. And the problem was that magistrates, they they still have, if you like, an, an industry to protect. They don't want to be dragged through the media saying they're softy lefties or they're hugger hoodie or whatever. They don't want any of that. The media does play quite a role in all of this. I mean, the Ministry of Justice are very careful with some of its policies because it doesn't want the Daily Mail grabbing hold of it and making it look something completely different. So they're very careful about what they do. The reason why magistrates are, if you like, adverse from alternative provision, because they don't trust the alternative provision. And especially back then, we had the issues with the CRCs. Obviously, now that's all going back to MPS, um, which just, there you go. Why is that going to be any different? I don't know, unless there's some huge widespread changes, which there doesn't appear to have been. Um, So the magistrates are left with no option but to send people to prison because they still have to protect the public as well. And if there isn't anything, they want to give alternative sentencing. They don't want to be sending people to prison, but they haven't got no choice because there isn't anything else available to them that they believe is beneficial for the individual that they're sentenced into prison. So their hands are tied as well. It, it all starts at the top and it, it means that's, it's just like the education system really, the criminal justice system needs transforming. We need to design the value of prison first and foremost. The value of prison to society is it holds those that we don't want walking our streets. That's it. Well, unfortunately, they're not in there forever. Um, or fortunately, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, and have to come out. So it's what we do with them while we're in there. That's where what matters should matter. Prison is for punishment. That's it. A lot of people that are in prison, I might be uh, a bit controversial here, but a lot of people in prison deserve to be there. 
They don't deserve to be walking the streets. They've had their chances. Were they given the right chances? That's another argument. Were their immediate needs met? Again, another argument. But on the face value, people in prison, some of these people deserve to be in there. Whether or not we deserve to leave them in there, again, is another matter. Or do we have the obligation as a human society to ensure that that mistake, that perhaps one mistake isn't held against that person and defines that, defines that person for the rest of their life and that resources are available for that individual in prison whilst paying their debt back to society, which is time, that once they've paid that debt back to society and they've had the resources available, hopefully they've been able to turn their lives around. But if not, then everyone in society has a right to point the finger. But until we start going that, until we start giving these people the right opportunities, and we, and still, yeah, until we start giving the right opportunities, we cannot judge because it's not fair. We we are not judging from the same set of, or from the from the same lenses as what these people in prison are seeing their lives through. So you talked a little bit earlier on about, you know, there sort of being a hierarchy and you're being able to work your way up in, in that sort of criminal world. And, you know, you, you, you do get a status and there is a bit. And one of the things that really surprised me when working with people who were coming out of prison was how difficult it was for some people to find work, not because their employer would run a CRB check and find out that there was something on their record, but just because where they lived, everybody knew who they were and they were a wrongin and or you know people who've been involved in the drug trade you know and they're known they're a face and the police follow them you know they're they're, they're being watched and employers let them go because there are people on a building site asking if this person can get them any stuff and they're not involved in that world anymore and it's really hard to separate themselves because it literally follows them around Another good example is a, a true case study of a lady that um, got herself through university. She was 19 at the time, and she chose through her own choice, through an informed decision, that she wanted to work weekends in a massage parlour. She wanted to get into the sex work game. She'd done all of that, got through university, and then she went and joined a bank uh, working in finance. While she was doing that, she missed her old job and wanted to top up her salary and enjoyed what she used to do. So she took it up again and she used to be an escort girl going into hotels with clients. The bank got to find out about it. They then um, done a confidential investigation that appeared on Facebook and Twitter and so on and so forth. That's how confidential this investigation was. And she obviously ended up getting dismissed. At the same time, there was another situation with the same bank. One of their male workers had punched a customer outside the shop but kept his job. It stinks. And yet what the um, the other lady was doing, what the, the lady that went into the sex work was doing, was legal. It is. I think there is very much a, an optics thing on everything now isn't there everybody's very scared of being cancelled so anything that might cause any sort of ripple or that you know oh well actually there's a lot I think there's a lot of conversations happen now it's like well actually like we 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 agree and we think it's fine for this but you know 
people might think so this is going to be the way that we handle it um and that is scary in a lot of ways that there's this idea that you know again going back to that stuff you were talking about about the media is that there is a lot of trial by media now you know that it's not necessarily that people are scared anymore of the criminal justice system people are scared of becoming famous for the wrong reasons because it can be photographed and put on the internet and that's it forever more in your life I suppose in that same way that we've always had people released from prison with that same black mark exactly and yet some incredible stories in prison when you when you get to um I mean, I I've, see, you can probably tell as well that although I may be passionate and come across slightly angered, um, I'm not bitter and twisted towards the system because the people I met within it, are just they're fantastic. I mean, some of the officers are just second to none. I mean, it's, it's the people within it that really do keep it to any sanity, if you like, because like you were saying about you've got a thousand people from all different walks of life having to rub up against each other. And really, there should be a lot more disturbance in our prisons than what there is right now. Um, it shouldn't work, but it does. And why does it work? Because there's such a, a, a community spirit in prison. Yeah, it's our community. It's like there's an unwritten law. I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but you can get banged up with someone who's a total stranger by the fact you've been banged up together, you now have an obligation to keep an eye out of each other. You've got to keep an eye on each other's stuff. You, you want to keep an eye on each other's backs. And all that. So, that, that, so you've got two strangers that all of a sudden have been chucked together in adversity and are, are, are now supporting each other. Do you think that that might be one of the reasons that we don't necessarily see people being scared of prison once they have been once? that actually it becomes less of a deterrent because, oh, well, like uh, there's people there that won't be able to build relationships with. It's also not going to be scary if you come from a council estate where 25 of your mates, dads, brothers and mates have all been sent to prison and you're next. You're not going to go in. You're, prison's not going to be a deterrent because you want to keep up with the Joneses. So prison isn't scary along those lines. Prison is more scary to members of the public than what it is to criminals, that's for sure. But I suppose you've also got that thing if there are some very desperate people who who very much decide to reoffend purposefully to get, you know, to get caught so that they can go back to prison because actually the alternative is living on the streets trying to find, you know, it's it's much easier to find drugs in prison than it is on the streets with no money, you know, that, that there's all of that and, and that brings in that whole idea of prison debt um and the fact that we can trap people in prison after their release because now they'll have to start paying off this giant debt they've run up because drugs you know were dead easy to come by but not easy to pay for whilst they were banged up but that's because there's nothing purposeful going on it's it's people think that prisoners do drugs to get out their nut they don't they they well they do but they do it to to deal with shit they they do it because Physically, all right, the food ain't very good, um, but physically, prison isn't hard at all. Um, mentally, that's where you do prison. If, if you do prison in your head, you're in trouble. You're, you're in trouble. So you need, to, you need to be able to get all of that out 
And obviously, sitting in a cell for 23 and a half hours a day isn't getting it out. Working in the workshop in the mornings and in the afternoons, going to education, uh, going down the gym, um, whatever, all of those activities that are available to you in prison, doing any of those, keeps you active, keeps the stuff out of your head, makes you sleep at night because you're active. So, yeah, we, we really do need to have a little bit more of understanding of what goes on between more yeah what goes on behind the crime rather than the criminal yeah and i think that's that's the really important message from from what that you know that you've talked about today is that it's not people need to reframe sort of prison education as actually it's it's not about prison education it's about lifelong education and making it accessible to people who are in this circumstance because of the circumstances that they were navigating that led them to it. One of the best analogies I think I've used is about, um, and it comes from my partner actually, Kelly, but it's it's very similar to sending your child to a room. It's like, right, get into your room and think about your behaviour. Well, if you haven't given that child any other structure or any other information, what are they going to think about in their room? They're just going to be bitter and twisted and they're going to come out bitter and twisted. And that's the same as our prisons. Let's not, yes, we need prisons, unfortunately. That is a bane of society that we need prisons. Prisons have been around, well, they've been around for centuries, but for punishment, they've been around for 200 years. So clearly we need prisons. So we need to do something to stop our prisons growing as quick as they are and staying um, overcrowded and, and failing our kids and providing prison with cannon fodder through the school to prison pipeline. The solutions are there. The answers are there. And the funding's there as well, Dawn. It's just being put in the wrong places. It needs to be redirected into our kids and do it now before it's too late. Yeah, and I think it's understanding even for them, you know, why they feel the way they feel and why they're making that decision. Because I think we can all reflect on decisions that we've made that we might make or reactions that we've had to situations that we might change if we had the opportunity to because we understand a little bit more about why we felt the way we felt about it at the time. And it comes with age, doesn't it? I mean, as we get older, we kind of, just before we go asleep, we kind of think about what we did in 1984, whether or not that was the right decision. But that happens. And, and the reason why there's a joke and there's humour about that is because it's true. We we do. We we look back and oh my God, I can't believe I made that decision 37 years ago. So it comes with maturity comes with age as well and, and empathy comes with age and understanding comes with age and the ability of reflection comes with age. Kids doesn't, they don't, they kids, they haven't got that many years to reflect back on and they haven't got any other experiences to compare it to. But we can look at their behaviour and the way that they work and, and we can help them to navigate that stuff and to, to, to understand. So that Exactly, yeah. That's the thing. We just need to give them a, a, a little bit of understanding that maybe they don't know everything at 13 years old. Maybe they don't know everything when they're 10. We might think they do, but they don't really. And they're not all this stuff about our oh, kids are resilient. Really, if kids are resilient, why is there 80,000 people in prison right now? And again, I think that that's a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what the word resilience means. You know, like for me, it took me a long time to understand that resilience wasn't something that you either have got or you haven't got. Resilience is a capacity. It's a 
you know it's that thing of like I'm up to here isn't it you know you say like oh no I'm up to here and you put your hand on your head and you show people where you've had it up to that that is your resilience the space between whatever it is you're dealing with and the top of that thermometer that's that's how much resilience you have so if you've got loads on your plate and you've got nothing nice to sort of help you to 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 sort through that loads of stuff on your plate you have no resilience you have no capacity for something going wrong or for something happening that derails that plan because you know in the same way that you look at your work and week and you go oh well I've got some capacity there if I need to spend a bit more time doing this thing or I've got a little bit of space there that I can wiggle things around if I need to but if you've got that mindset and you've got someone come up to you and say do you know something I believe you I believe in you and I'm going to support you. All of that's gone. That all of that shit's gone out of your head because you've now got it's 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 that belief. That's what it comes down to. A lot of people in our prison system have been told their shit all their life. So most, oh no, they've ended up in prison. Really? <laughs> it's like you didn't realise that was going to happen. There's been research done over years and years and years telling us if you treat people bad, bad things are going to happen. And now you're standing back going, oh, I can't believe they ended up in prison. Why not? You've been trying to put your foot on their head for the last 20 years, and now they've been back. Yeah, we can all, like, do that thing where we'll look back and we'll go, you know, we've all had that thought about something where we've gone, what, you think I did this, did you? Well, I'll show you. I'll go and do it now. Like, that, and that's that, you think I'm a naughty kid? Well, I'll go and show you how naughty I can be. Like, we've all had that reaction about something. Um and it's it's really interesting to hear that applied to something that I think seems really far away for some people, that idea of criminality or... In Britain, we've got a what population, what's the population, 60 million? 11.2 million people in this country have got a criminal record. So it's a little bit more of a case of there, but for the grace of God go I. So people need to be a little bit careful where they point their fingers because it won't be long whether someone be pointing the finger at them. That's a lovely end sentence, I think, for it to, to, to say thank you to you. And I've taken um, the whole hour of your time that I had booked in. Um, and I know that, you know, you don't stop working, really. You're always doing something. Um, it was really lovely to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really interesting. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and have a great weekend, Dawn. And thank you so much. It's really great. And thanks to you at home. Don't forget, for more great content tailored towards those working in care, health and education, it's free to join our network and you gain access to some great articles, videos and resources to support your career and some information about career development as well as our members' discount and benefit scheme. And if you'd like to feature on a future episode of PodCash, please get in touch at alumni at cash.org.uk. Until next time, take care.